Good morning. Let me see. Yeah, it's on. Okay, I'm going to take uh, 30 seconds and just kind of set some stuff up here. But while I'm doing that, I'm going to talk to you. So I'm going to be a little distracted, but bear with me. So over the break, we were talking, uh, Bob and I, and we were talking about a lot of a lot of really cool stuff and a lot of stuff that's actually very relevant in our circles today. And and we we sang that song. I'm so glad I'm a part. I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. I've been cleansed by His blood. I'm I'm joint heirs with Jesus. Joint heirs with Jesus. As we travel this sod, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And 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 we are part of the family of God, aren't we? And and we talk about that a lot. And yet quite often when we think of the family of God, we only think of the immediate family that we're part of. But the family of God is so much greater, so much larger than just we who meet here, right? And so I've been a part of many different families over the years, and, 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 and I, I, I love my heritage. I, I have grown to love my heritage, okay? There's times where I, oh, yeah, yeah. But, but I have learned over the years to, to love it. And, and I, you know, I was interesting conversation with uh, my mother and, and, and one of her sisters who deeply resents her heritage and, and the fact that she grew up in the assembly that she did grow up in. It's all coming to a point. Um, because, because they were very strict and very um, um, rigid and, and, and what we would call conservative, right? And, and I, I grew up in that same system. And I've learned to appreciate that system. And while I'm not there now, I, I recognize it as a foundation that was laid within my life. And, and I, I cherish that. Now, one of the things that used to, uh, um, we were very, very strong on within that, as, that group of, of assemblies was the twofold proclamation of the gospel. And uh, it, it's quite interesting because we, we, we looked at, okay, first of all, how do we feed the flock? Okay. And, and so that was within our ministry and our Bible studies and, and, and all those things. But then also, how do we reach out to those who are unsaved? And so we used to, we had determined that um, it, what we would do is, is every Sunday night, we would open the doors of the church and we would welcome in whosoever will. And um, they would come in and they would hear what we called the twofold proclamation of the gospel. Because if, if all we do is listen to Vigi every night, and only Vigi, and you don't like listening to Vigi for whatever, Vigi's awesome, but for whatever reason, you don't like listening to him, it's like, oh, this guy again? But then after Vigi comes George, and you're like, hey, I like George, I'm going to listen to him. Okay, so there's, there's the twofold, and, 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 and also the Lord might be working on something different in Vigi's life as, as, as he proclaims the message than what he would be working on with in George's life, and therefore, you need to have the two. So, all this leads to the story. Okay, we used to have weeks and weeks of meetings, two, three, four weeks of meetings every single night, and uh, we'd canvass the neighborhood and we'd we'd uh, invite everyone to come and, and hear the gospel, and it was it was quite amazing, and and we did there were many souls saved through that outreach, um, 
But the story, so they'd, they'd bring in the, the commended preachers, these, these gentlemen who were, who were gifted in proclaiming the gospel. And, and so they'd bring them in. So, so now the story. So the two gentlemen, they're going from town to town, having these series of, of meetings. And, and, and so they, they go from one every night. It would be a different town. And so they'd get there, and it was, it was a younger gentleman and an older gentleman. And, and uh, every night, the younger gentleman, he would um, he'd work all through the day and prepare his message. And, and he'd stand up, and he'd deliver his message. And, and uh, um, then the, the elderly gentleman, he'd stand up and give the same message that he gave the night before. And every night, the same message, the same message. Different town, same message, right? And so the young guy's like, come on, that's cheating, right? You know, we, I, I, I work my butt off all day long to prepare something different so that I can tell them something different about the love of God. And, and yet you're, you're proclaiming the same message every single night. And he thought, I'm going to get them. So they get to this town, and, and uh, the young guy, he goes up first every night. So he goes up first. Now, he's been listening to this other gentleman's message for weeks straight, and he knows it verbatim. So he gets up to the front, and uh, off he goes with the older gentleman's message. Verbatim, word for word, finish, start to finish, gave the message that the other gentleman gave him. The other guy kind of looked at him and shrugged, and, and he stands up, and without even skipping a beat or missing a, a stutter step, nothing, off with a completely different message. And the kid's like, man, I can't win with this guy. So afterwards, the older gentleman sits down beside him, and, and the kid says, ah, you know, sorry, I was, I was trying to kind of teach you a lesson. And the older man says, I, I wondered what you were up to. He says, because I gave that message last time I was here. <laughs> okay, lots of groaning. I deserve that. It was, it was a long walk. It was a long walk. Okay. Let me tell you, okay? So you know me by now that I like to, to talk about where I'm at right now, okay? And, and so uh, Nishant already told you, he announced that the, the name of my message or the, the title of my message today was that God is in control. And, and, and we all, yep, we believe that, right? God is in control, right? Everyone, we're good. Okay, good. So we all believe that and... and we all testify to it, and that's great. Um, and, and accept that, and we talked about this a, a little bit last time, and so we're going we're gonna to step back to there, and then we're going to build on it, okay? So God is in control. Um, he has all things in the palm of his hand. But why is it that we have our day-to-day struggles, right? And so, so that's, that's kind of where I'm sitting. So I have a, a gentleman who just started working with the company that I work with. And uh, he and I had the uh, opportunity a couple of weeks ago to spend some time together. And, and through that time, we ended up doing a, a particular job and, and stopped and had a coffee. And uh, we brought the coffee with us. We kept on working. We're okay. But we had the coffee, and, and he started opening up about his walk and where he was. Okay, Now, with his walk right now, he's, he's a young man, he's, he's in his early 20s, um, married, um, new baby, and um, he says to me, he says, Dan, I, I don't, I know it's true, I know it's right, I know it's good, I believe it, but he says, I'm just, I'm just not there. 
I'm having trouble wrapping my head around it. And he went on to talk about how there's so many amongst our circles who have what seemed to be rock-solid faith. Okay? God's in control. If that happened, it's because he's in control and this is what's best and therefore I'm good with that. And he says, the head knowledge is there. I, I know that. But the heart's not there. I'm not there. And so he says it's created a fairly significant rift within my spiritual life where because my head's telling me one thing, and and by the way, we all said it this morning, right? God is in control. Everyone nods. Yep, amen. Okay? And he says, but my heart's not there. And he says, maybe it'll get back there, but it's not there right now. Um, Maybe throw that first that first slide up on the screen for me? That first slide. Because see, and, and this is kind of where we are right now. And, and, and this is kind of what I'm thinking about. Is that at, at this point in his life, it's his parents' religion that he's following. And, and he is saved, there's no doubt. And he knows it himself. But what he's struggling with is it's still his parents' religion. It's not yet his faith. Does that make sense? Okay. Is it fair to say at some point in each one of your lives that you had to come to that place too? Now, if you were saved out of the world, you're in a different place. I get that. Okay. I was raised in a very conservative Christian home where I was taught the gospel and the good news of the gospel right from, right from birth. Um, and so, so there was a point in my life where I had to say, no, 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 this is more than just church for me. This is more than just the thing that I do every Sunday. This is more than the place I'm going to take my wife and we're going to go together. And we have lots of friends there and that's great. And we enjoy the fellowship and, and there's good teaching sometimes right? And, and we, we enjoy that aspect of church. But there needs to come a time where you say, it's more than that, okay? This is what I believe, and it's not just because it's the, it's the tradition that was passed on from my parents. This is mine now, okay? So in a conversation with another friend very recently on the same subject, he says, and Dan, don't be surprised if you go through this two or three times in your life. So, wow, you know, I, I thought I was through that. He goes, no, you're probably not. And we say, well, come on, you know, where's, where's your foundation? Where's your faith? Who was it that was in prison that sent messages to the Lord himself and said, are you really the one? Who was that? Yeah. Okay? John. John himself struggled with this. Okay? If you're struggling with it, you're not alone. I'll tell you that. Okay? Because at some point, we all have to make that step. Not just a step of salvation, where we say, yes, this is good. I can do nothing within myself. Therefore, I accept the free gift of Christ's atoning blood. Okay? Okay? 
You said as, as part of your, your opening, we have been redeemed. What does redeem mean? Does redeem mean that we go into, the, into the, the vault and we take out what we have accumulated so far and we pay the debt? No. Redeemed means that somebody else paid it, you step into it. Okay? So, it's not just that. Okay? There is a point where you have to say, no, this is for me. Okay? And this is, once we get to this point, then we can start truly... And believing it, truly saying, yes, God is in control. This isn't just the tradition that I'm holding on to. This isn't just the, the brain knowledge that's been fed into me all my life. And thank God that it has been. But this is where I have to get to. Where I say, no, God is in control. And God does have my back. So... I want to look at the Old Testament for, for, for a few minutes, and, and it's, it's really cool because I, we're going to take a story from the Old Testament, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see how God, God is in control of, of, of everything, and how in the grand scheme of things, we're, it's his will, and we're along for the ride in many ways. I don't mean to minimize it, okay? Don't, don't hear me wrong on this, okay? But flip over to Joshua chapter 6, okay? I want to look at that for a few minutes. Because here we have a, a really neat story, okay? Where, where the, the children of Israel have been wandering around in the desert, and, and they're brought to the, the promised land, okay? And, and so here they are. Uh, Moses is gone, now it's Joshua who's uh, leading the people. And, and they go and, and they overlook this land, this city, okay? Now, the cool thing about all this is that this is an actual place. And it's a documented place, and it's a place that you and I can go. Or you can see it on Google Maps, which is really cool. But anyway, you can go there, and you can see this. And, and They've broken it down a whole bunch over the last hundred years. And, and it's revealed a lot of really neat things. So I want to talk about it a little bit, okay? Because here's Joshua, and he's standing there surveying the city. Now, if you can imagine, it, there's a plain there, okay? Um, there ain't a lot growing there. It's kind of a barren area, okay? And you've seen Lord of the Rings, yeah? The movies, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Back in the game. Um, so, you've, you've seen the movie, okay? This, this, the movie, okay, you know, with the orcs and all that stuff and the wizards and blah, blah, blah. But, but the battle scenes that are in there, okay, that's based on reality. And so what would happen is, is you know, you'd have these bands that would move around through here and there and they'd, they'd invade and they'd capture and they'd surround a city and they'd, they'd, they'd starve out the inhabitants or they'd, break in and they, they'd take over and kill everyone and then oh hey we got this land and we got this city and we got all the all the, the the valuable stuff that goes along with it that we need for us to live our lives right so this stuff happens so what they do is they build a wall around the city okay and and by building a wall around the city you ultimately keep the bad guys out and so you all run into the city and you close the doors and there the bad guys are out okay so they build these walls, and they build them out of stone or, or, or whatever they happen to have. And, and, but see, we're, we're, we're human beings, right? And, and as human beings, we, we learn and we grow. And so on, on the one hand, 
we learn that if we put a wall around us, it makes it really hard for the bad guys to get us. But the bad guys are also human beings, and, and they're learning, and they're growing too. And I'm learning and forgetting where I left my markers. Oh, they're there. And so the bad guys, thank you, they're learning too. And so what they learned is that if you build a nice big stone wall, okay, now you'll excuse the horrific drawing, but you get the point, okay? If we build a wall out of stone that extends all the way around the city, and the bad guys come along and they're like, oh man, stone wall, how are we going to get in, right? And, and these walls would be high, you know, 15, 20 feet high, and, and so they started creating weapons that they could and over the wall and stuff like that, but, but they still couldn't get in, right? And so they built something called a battering ram, okay? And so ultimately what this is, is it's, it's a kind of a, a, a unit like this, and, and you know, you saw them in the Lord of the Rings there, and you know, a big giant log, and it would swing back and forth, and, and, and that continual pounding on one section of the wall, if you can imagine if, if I pulled out my, my regular Stanley hammer and started pounding on the block wall over there, it wouldn't take long before I built a nice hole in that wall, right? Like, like literally four, five, six blows with a hammer will knock a hole through the concrete blocks because they're concrete and they, they give, right? And so, so they'd build these units and they'd swing and, and, and pound a hole in the wall and then once you got a hole in the wall, well, the army could run through and, and you see the problem with that, right? Now what are we going to do? Well, then they started getting smart, Okay. The Gospels talk about how um, you're the salt. How, how, how does it go? Um, a city on the hill cannot be hidden, right? Where does that come from? Why would you build a city on a hill, right? But, but there, that was said that way for a reason, because they used to build cities on hills. Well, why would you build a city on the hill? Well, if you, if you can imagine, if you've got a, a, a hill that comes down something like this, and, and so now this is all soil here, and it's all backfilled, and that wall you build at the base of the hill, they can pound on that all day long, and they're not going to get through because they're in the soil, right? There's soil, there's backfill on the other side of that, and therefore you can't get through. So what they do is they'd, they'd find a hill, and they'd, they'd dig down a little bit around the base of it, and they'd set up a stone wall, okay? And then... The invaders would come along and they pound, 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 and they, they wouldn't get through because, you know, you punch through there and there's more dirt. Okay? And so then what they had to do is then they had to take rows of bricks and build the walls up a little bit higher because you forget about these things, right, that shoot over top. So they'd, they'd build, you know, usually mud or clay bricks, and they'd, they'd stack them up on top of the wall. So now you have your city built up here. Okay, the ground level's down here, and, and, and we've got uh, a stone wall that's been backfilled by the hill itself, and then we, we stack up our mud clay bricks on top of that. Get to the point. Well, the point is, this is Jericho, okay? This is how this city is built. It's a city built on a hill. There's a stone wall. The, the, the city itself, now the, the ruins of it, it's approximately 200 by 800 yards. We're not talking a large area, okay? Nine acres, a um, bit larger than this field that's outside of us here, okay? That's about the size of it. It's not massive, but for those times, it's a big city, and it would house approximately 1,000 people, okay? Now, the other thing that would happen is, is if 
if for some reason they could get through this wall, they put a second wall. You remember the Lord of the Rings where they retreat to the inner city, right? Okay, actual and factual. So what they do is they build another wall back here. Okay, and there's my bricks. Now this, these walls are usually made out of bricks and stuff like that. Why? Well, because they're easier to carry. Okay, a bunch of guys carrying stones up to build a wall doesn't work, but we can do it easy with a whole bunch of bricks. So here's Jericho. Now, the really cool thing about this is that if you're standing down at the ground here, at ground level, okay, they've excavated this area. And this initial stone wall that's here, it's between 12 and 15 feet high, depending on what point of the city you're at and where it's excavated, okay? And then they've, they've determined from the amount of rubble that's lying on the area that, that this block area here would probably have been another 12 to 15 feet high. So you're anywhere between 24 and 30 feet from the ground. Okay, on that first wall. Now, if we put that in perspective, um, eight inch blocks, 24 course, 12, 15 feet. The ceiling's in here about 15 feet, okay? So if I'm standing, picture in your mind, if you will, if I'm standing here, I'm at the base of the wall of Jericho, I look up to where the ceiling is, that's where the stone ends and the brick starts. Okay, that's the height of the thing. It's a massive, massive wall. And then the second wall, the interior wall, they figure would have been between 40 and 45 feet off of ground level. And by the way, we've got a bunch of people, children of Israel, Joe blows like you and me who have been wandering around in the desert for many years and, and God has said to us, I'm giving you this land and you're standing there looking at it going, really? How are we going to do that? But God is in control, right? So, when we read our chapter... chapter 6, it says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. So the people of Jericho, they, they saw the children of Israel coming. Okay, they're a big band. They figure somewhere around a million people or so moving across the desert towards them. They saw them. They all, out of the surrounding area, up into the city, slammed the gates. Okay, fortified. We're good to go. Some other cool information is that um, there is actually a well within the city. So they had water. It was, it was, it drilled down to a spring. They had water. And if we read back a couple of pages, we learn that um, the children of Israel had just come across the Jordan River. Um, it was in flood stage. Well, what does flood stage mean? It means that it was in the time of year where the crops would have been just recently harvested. Okay. And, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But anyway, so all the people are in the city. The city shut, shut up. And the Lord says to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now here's what I need you to do. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. And have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, the ark of the covenant. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. When the 
with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, everyone straight in. So now we know what Joshua has to do. Okay? But, let's turn back a page, chapter 5. Okay? The end of chapter 5, verse 13. So, we know what he has to do. We know what he's standing there looking at. But who's this conversation that he's having with? Who, who is he talking to? Verse 13, the previous chapter. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went... Sorry, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the Lord, of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Let's stop and look at this for a second. So, Joshua is standing there surveying the scene. He's looking at the walls of the city, okay? Probably not from standing right at the base of them, off in the distance. And he looks over and he's like, there's a dude standing there. And he's got a sword drawn. And we're in a time of impending war, right? Because there's the city. They know we're here. They're all closed up. They know we're watching them. Here's a guy, don't know who he is, but he's standing there and he's got his sword in his hand. Need to figure out what this guy's about. So Joshua approaches him and he says, um, you with them or you with us? I love the King James translation of this. Because the King James translation says, nope, nope. Are you with them or with us? No. <laughs> what are you knowing? He says, no, I'm, I'm not with either of you. Okay. He says, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. What is that? As commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. A lot of people say, okay, this, this was perhaps an angel. Could have been. Who's the commander of the Lord's army? Ultimate commander. Hmm. Jesus Christ. A lot of, a lot of folks talk about a Christophany, okay? Or a, or a, a theophany, which is God in the form of, of, of man, Okay? And, and was this an angel, or was this God himself? And, and here's the thing. Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence. Okay? Now, see, here's the thing. I, I, I've used this reference before where I can go into a place and I can say, um, okay, so I'm, I'm a manager with a group called Community Living, so I can go in and I can say, I'm Dan, and they're like, so? And I can say, well, okay, so I'm the manager of this program with this organization. They go, okay, I got you. What's your name again? Okay. This is what he has done here. He said, no, I'm not with you. I'm not with them. I am the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm here. And Joshua falls down on his face. Okay? Let 
can I throw in this? Jump, jump, jump forward real quick. Uh, Revelation 22, Revelation 22. Um, Revelation 22, verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and had seen them, I lay down, or I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said, don't do this, exclamation mark. Don't, stop, stop, don't do this. Okay, why would he say that? I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Okay? When a man falls down in front of an angel, the angel says, stop, don't do this. Okay? Worship is for God, not for angels. So, when we go back to Joshua, and what happens, Joshua falls down on his face in reverence, and he said to him, what message does the Lord have for the servant? And the, mess, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Who was Joshua talking to? Okay? Let's put up the second, the second thing. Because here's ultimately what he said. Okay? The commander of the arts. God's army says, God's here, and God's going to do what God's going to do, because God is in control. He could have said to Joshua very quickly and very easily, Joshua, it's okay, it's all going to work out, okay? You're, you're in a good place, you're not, there's, there's going to be no problems, um, we're going to take down the city walls, and, and, and you're fine, and no one's going to get hurt on your side, and, and it, it's a bad day for them. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said, I'm not for you, I'm not for them, I'm for God. God's here. And you'll excuse my paraphrasing, but God's going to do what God's going to do. Okay? Now, why am I drilling this in? So we know the instructions that came to Joshua on how to defeat this city. And we know that they followed those instructions and they walked around and around the city. Now remember we said it's not a huge city, right? About the size of this field out here. And so it might have been a little more than half a mile, maybe two-thirds of a mile that the children of Israel would have to walk around the perimeter of the city okay, every single day. Shh! Quiet. Walk around the city blowing the horns. Go back to bed. Come out the next day, do it again. Go back to bed. Come out the next day. Seven days they did this. What are the people in the city thinking? Okay, Remember, they're up on those walls going... On the seventh day, verse 15, chapter 6, they got up at daybreak, they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the police had, when the priests, pardon me, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, okay, and her house are to be spared. We know what happens there, right? Jump up to verse 20. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in. And they took the city. 
So the walls fell down, everything's good, right? God's in control, it's all done. But there's so much more to it. So as they've excavated this, now they excavated it back in the early 1900s, 1907 to 09. They did another excavation back in the 50s, and then they did another excavation back in the late 90s. Okay? Three separate excavations, three separate areas of the city. Okay? And, and so they're, they're trying to, by the way, the last group that did it, um, if you go on the internet, check it out. It's really, really cool. Because this area that, that we're talking about is now under Palestinian control. And, and so the Palestinians said, we're going to hire our own group of guys, and we want you guys to go in and disprove all this nonsense about God and Jericho and knocking the city down and whatever. Okay, go in and have a look. And so they did, and they said, yep, no, there's nothing to it. Except that in doing so, and once they released their findings, it only proved all the more what we already know. Because, see, what happened? And so they say, okay, well, you know, we're suspicious that the city, um, you know, there was probably an earthquake that shook and, and the walls came down. And, and, and you say, okay, um, except that when an earthquake happens, what happens? Well, the ground moves this way, and then it moves back this way, and then it moves this way again, okay? And that, that action there cracks apart the walls, and, and, and they, they fall, right? They fall this way. Boom, out, because, you know, they're going this way, and then they're going, and stuff is scattered. The debris field is huge. But that's not what they have uncovered here. What they have uncovered here is something that one of the observers said the only way it could be described is as a massive percussive force coming straight down from the top and leveling the walls outwards. Now, all of these bricks that constitute these walls, down and out, these walls still stand. But the mound of clay and brick that lies on the outside of those walls are the inside walls. And in doing so, it allowed the children of Israel to run straight up and in. There's not a wall breach. They didn't have to all channel over to one spot where the earthquake shook and the wall fell apart there and so they all went through. No, the Bible says they all ran straight up and in. And sure enough, there it is. An impact, a massive percussive impact from straight down above that pushes the walls. The city is the, the shape, take an egg, crack it in a pan, okay? The egg drops down, spreads out this way. That's the shape of the city. It's oval. The walls went down and out in every part of the city and made a ramp that the children of Israel could run up into. Was that an earthquake? Okay. They even tried to go at the philosophy that, oh, well, you've got a million people running around the, 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 and blowing on horns and shouting. So somebody, in their wisdom, went, well, let's, let's see. You know, how much sound could be generated? How much sound force by a million people shouting? Wouldn't hardly rattle the place, especially out in an open plain. Because sound travels from the center out, right? A massive percussive 
force from the top down. Where did that force come from? From our God, who is in control. And, and here's the thing. So he brings down the walls. He allows a way for the children of Israel to run straight up and take over the city. Okay? And then what does he tell them to do? Burn it to the ground. And sure enough, it's burned. It's charred. They have pots and pots and pots, big giant clay pots that all the grain that is inside them has been preserved. But everything around is all charred and burned. And they left it all. What did they take out of the city? It wasn't... Hear, hear me, and this is why I keep drilling this point in, okay? It wasn't for the children of Israel's benefit that the city collapsed. They took nothing from it, okay? They took the gold and the silver for the temple. Find a lot of good that does, because every time they turn away, an outside force comes in and takes and loots the temple and takes all the gold and silver, right? We see that throughout history time and time and time again. So it wasn't for their own sakes, See, God's in control and God's got his agenda. And God was there. And God could have said to Joshua, hey, listen, I got this one. But he didn't. He said, no, I'm here for my sake. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. If we truly believe that as Christians... And this is the point that I'm trying to get to and the point that I struggle with in my daily walk. If we truly believe that God's agenda is his agenda, and, and, and so, so often we grab onto that verse, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So that means everything's going to work together good for me, right? Because I love God and so everything's going to be great. And why do we face heartaches and challenges and trouble in our lives? There's an entire movement that's built on this right now. And we talk about the prosperity gospel, right? And, and God, you're a child of the king. Why would he want you to wear rags? You know, you deserve to have the $500 suit. You deserve to drive the Maserati. You deserve this and that. What does the Bible say about that stuff? It says, don't store up your treasure here where moths and rust decay. Store it up where? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also, right? And so so we there's the struggle. Okay? The struggle is is that you know God kind of owes me a good life, right? And it's important that well, you know, why, why do I toil in this work every day? And why do I hate it? You know, and, and ah, it's so frustrating. And God has better things for me. And because and, and I'm, I'm, I'm his child, I'm a child of the king. And therefore, he owes me this happiness and that I should. Sorry. It's not what the Bible teaches. Okay. And the Bible talks about, as a child of the king, joint heirs with Jesus, Right? We have eternal life. I love that song. He doesn't promise that the cross will not get heavy or that the hill will not be hard to climb. 
Okay? He doesn't promise that there will be a victory without fighting. He says, help, it's going to come in time. So remember this. Remember when you're standing in the valley of indecision and the enemy is standing there. Just hold on. Okay? And our Lord will show up and he'll take you through the fire. Okay? Spent a lot of yesterday just thinking on these things and, 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 and roaming around through the internet and looking at, at all these different philosophies that all these different groups are, are grabbing onto and, 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 and saying, hey, you know, God, you deserve this and, 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 and God will prosper your life because he has good things for you and all these things. And it's like, <sighs> except that we do get sick. We do struggle. We do toil. We deal with heartache. We deal with loss. We deal with sickness. We deal with all those things. But our eternal destiny is looked after. We have been redeemed. And it's not with corruptible things like silver and gold. It's with the precious blood of Christ. He came to the earth. He lived. He died. He paid the price for your sin so that you could have eternal life. But he didn't say from here on, the road's all great. He never said that. Luke chapter 23, look at the thief on the cross beside him. Okay? Two thieves bickering back and forth, throwing their own taunts. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Okay? And the other one says, whoa, 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 stop. Don't you see you're in the same position? He doesn't bargain with God. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, you know help, help me out here. He says, Lord, Lord. He doesn't say, um, Jesus, if... It, uh, he says, Lord, remember me. Okay, Just remember me. That's all I ask. Just remember me on the other side. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what is the promise that Jesus gave to him that day? He said what? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, and now since you're saved, hey, pop down off that cross there and go tell everyone. Go get baptized. Go become a member of your local church. He didn't send word back to John the Baptist. He said, hey, listen, what are you seeing? Okay, you're seeing the dead walk, you're seeing the, 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 the deaf or hearing the, the, I've forgotten them all, but the last one that he left out was, and the prisoners are set free. He didn't tell him that. Why, why, why wouldn't he tell him that? Because John the Baptist died in prison, didn't he? The thief died on the cross beside him. Okay. When we truly begin to understand that, yes, God is in control. Yes, it's his agenda. It's his will. It's his time. It's his. That's when we stop looking at ourselves and going, well, why, 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 why am I, why, why? Because it's not about you. Sorry. It's not. It's about him. And it's all to his glory. great, thanks, Dan, you brought us all down. No, that wasn't my intent, okay? My intent was to encourage you that, that 
we have, we have eternal life. We have it. Okay? And you know what? If we can take, take and hold on to that promise of eternal life, suddenly it starts putting everything back into perspective and into its place. So I'm not driving a Maserati. I'm not wearing a $500 suit. Okay? I don't have a bankroll and a retirement saving plan set up and all those things. But I got eternal life. Okay? Vidya was quoting the psalmist this morning. How cool is that? Okay? And, 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 and in another psalm he says, listen, my only desire, okay, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Okay? But in another psalm, David writes and he says, my desire, my longing is just to be in your temple. What is he saying by saying that? Okay. Who had more trouble in his life than David? Who? His children were a mess. His family life was through his own circumstance, through his own poor decisions. Okay. Talks about his death. They had to bring someone in to comfort him and keep him warm because he had no one. Okay. And he can say to the Lord, my desire is just to be in your presence. Okay? He's recognizing that in the grand scheme of things, when I'm close to you, everything else doesn't matter. And that's my encouragement to you. That's what I want you to take from all this. Okay? God is in control. God will knock down the walls. God will destroy the cities. God will do whatever... He will provide for you. He will do all those things, okay? We looked at that last week for a few minutes where we said, hey, listen, God, eternal, awesome, us, perish, flowers, wind blows, gone, okay? Vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away. The eternal things, those are the things that matter. And when you start getting those things where they belong, everything else pales. Can I leave that with you? I haven't got it all figured out. I struggle with it daily. One of my biggest challenges is my phone goes off every two minutes. And I have people reaching out and, and, and looking for information and looking for authorization and all those things that happened this morning during our morning worship. And I think, man, God, what's going on? Like I, you, you know what I have to do in a few minutes. You know, you know that I need to speak and I need to have my head clear and I've got work calling me saying, this person said this about me and I don't like it. Really, Lord? <laughs> Could you have found a way to redirect that call for me? I get there. But when I recognize the big picture, which is my soul is looked after, those calls become a lot easier to handle. So, I leave it with you. There's my struggle. There's what I'm working with. There's what I've learned. Pray for me. Pray for you as well. Let's just commit our time to the Lord. Father, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. For the glorious truth that you are in control. 
It's all about you, Father. And we, we recognize that we are bound by the limits of time, Father. And, and, and we live in time. But you occupy eternity. You always were. You always are. And you forever will be. And Father, if we can just grasp onto that truth that you already know the beginning from the end. Because you've been there. You are there. And you are in control. You know at the end of the day who wins. And so, Father, we just take our troubles and our trials and all the things that weigh us down and we lay them at your feet. Because we need to recognize, Father, that you are in control. And so, Father, we just ask for this truth to be impressed upon our hearts. Father, I struggle with it daily. And, and even though the head knowledge says, yeah, but you know, the heart says, yeah, but you know. And so, Father, we just commit it into your hands and we just ask that you'd help us with it. Help us to be a generation that shows forth the love of God to those who are around us. Help us to be that city on the hill that can't be hidden, that lamp that lights up the room, doesn't have a bushel over top to conceal the light. Father, we just ask, ask this. We ask your blessing upon each one who's gathered here, Father. And we'd ask that you'd help, our, help us to put things in perspective that our lights may shine for your glory. So we just leave it with you, Father. And we'd ask for your blessing and as we would part even as well. Be with us. And remember all the activities of the church. Remember those who are sick, Father. We commit them to you again. We hold them up before you. We'd ask for your hand upon them as your will be done. So we thank you and we bless you. And we pray to you in your son's name. Amen.